Good morning, River Life Church. Good morning, all of you who are joining us online. Let's take a moment to go before God. The Bible says that only the Holy Spirit can open our eyes to hear the word and have the word come alive for us. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we know that you dwell within each one of us, and we need you desperately every second of every day. And so in this moment, as our church family gets to gather and read your word and learn, we pray that we hear from you. So we just surrender our hearts right now to you. We surrender our ears, our eyes, our minds, that you would instruct us, Holy Spirit. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our big brother. Amen. All right, so if you remember, and Tim just reminded us that the premise of emotionally healthy relationships is that you can't be spiritually mature or relationally mature while remaining emotionally immature. And each time I come and stand up here, I get to relay to you how emotionally immature I really am. And I hope that in doing that, I also invite you to just to be honest with God, to say, hey, I, there are many places that I need to grow. Because part of discipleship is that we want to become more and more like Christ. But in order to do that, we have to identify, address, and actively work on those emotionally immature areas of our personality, our practices, um, and we have to do that because we all come from different backgrounds, but when we come into the family of God, God has a way that he wants his children to live. And so that's why we're on this journey where each one of us has to learn some new skills and each one of us has to unlearn some old things that we bring with us from our families and from our cultures. So, so far in this series, we have learned some relationship skills. We've looked at take your community temperature, uh, stop mind reading and clarify expectations. We've explored the iceberg. Last week, we learned to listen incarnationally. And this week, we're going to build on all those skills, and we're going to talk about the skill of climb the ladder of integrity. Climb the ladder of integrity. So what is integrity? I think it's easier to illustrate integrity by talking about what it is not. So here are examples from my own life when I lacked integrity, where I did not have integrity. Um, so many years ago when we were attending a different church, a gentleman asked me to translate his business papers from Hmong into English. And I thought, I don't really know this guy, but since he asked me and since we go to the same church, I should say yes. So I said yes. So he emailed me this stack of papers. I took one look and I was like, there's no way I'm going to get through all of that. So I ignored the whole project. I pretended I didn't see his email. I would see him at church and I would try not to make eye contact with him. He never brought it up again, so I didn't say a thing. Um, 
Another time was when Greg and I were dealing with infertility and I would get all kinds of intrusive questions. Just anything, you name it, people thought they had a right to ask me. And rather than saying to them, hey, I'm really uncomfortable talking with you about my menstrual period or whose fault it is or, you know, semen count, right? Instead of saying that, I would just, I would actually answer them. Or sometimes I would actually lie because I didn't want to tell them the truth. Um, but I would always walk away feeling really icky, like, why did I let them do that to me? Something closer to home and more recent. Um, as the pandemic has been really stressful, uh, Greg has certainly felt it in his ministry and in church work. And as he's become more stressed, I've picked up on his stress. So when he comes home, I'm like scared to be myself around him because I pick up on people's emotions and I think I should feel the same way they do. And I should be careful what I say because I'm so thoughtful about their feelings. But the reality is it left me like walking on eggshells. And then it made me feel like I couldn't be myself. And in all these three situations, what you find is that I get really unsettled. Okay. Thank you. When I am not myself and I pretend to be someone else, I usually don't just get upset with the other person, but I end up thinking, why did I do that? Why couldn't I be more assertive? Why did I do something that I didn't believe in? And why did I end up acting in a way that isn't really who I am? So integrity is the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. Honest and strong moral principles. Integrity is also the state of being whole and undivided. We violate our integrity when we ignore or we don't live what we think, believe, or value. We often let the expectations, desires, or demands of other people dictate how we feel or what we say or what we do. As a result, we live a divided life where who we are to the world is not who we are in our mind and certainly not who we are behind closed doors. People see one thing but we know ourselves to be something else. That's a divided life. Now, in case you can't relate to me, here are some signs that we are living a divided life, a life without integrity. We care too much about what others think. Maybe we spin the truth, exaggerate, or lie to make ourselves look better. We blame others rather than taking responsibility for our words and actions. Maybe we avoid confrontation. And this final one, we say yes when we prefer to say no. Do any of these ring true for you? 
So Murray Bowen, who is a pioneer in the field of marriage and family therapy, was one of the first to coin this term called differentiation, which is the ability to be emotional, uh, contact with others, which is the togetherness, yet still autonomous or stay separate in your own, in one's own emotional functioning. A differentiation of the self <clears throat> requires that I am aware of my own thoughts and my own emotions, and that I don't let my emotions take over my thoughts and my decision making. Differentiation also requires that I'm able to stay emotionally connected to other people, even as I am true to my own thoughts and emotions, regardless of what that other person thinks or feels or behaves. Uh, Pete Scazzaro and Jerry Scazzaro say it this way, the degree to which you are able to affirm your distinct values and goals apart from the pressures around you, which is separateness, while remaining close to people who are important to you, which is togetherness, helps determine your level of differentiation. People who are high in differentiation are able to speak their thoughts and act on their values rather than giving into the perceived or explicit expectations of other people. Let me say that again so you can kind of see where you are on the scale. People who are high in differentiation are able to speak their thoughts and act on their values rather than giving into the perceived or explicit expectations of others. Now, those of you, you and, you and I, who struggle to say what we really want or think and do what we'd prefer to do, but then we end up caving into people, we might argue that, hey, isn't this a good thing? I mean, like, I'm just being thoughtful. I'm just being considerate of other people. Some of us might even say, me included, might say, hey, I'm doing a good and noble thing. But let's be honest. Most of the time, we would end up feeling obligated, grumpy, taken advantage of, and resentful. Does that sound like good and noble? To top it all off, we usually get mad at ourselves. Like, why did I say that? Why did I agree to do that? Why did I behave that way? And we end up getting mad at ourselves for not being more assertive. Now, to be really honest with you, my Hmong culture, my family of origin upbringing, and even my church experience have made it very challenging for me to have integrity. I have been taught that it's not right to contradict my elders and people who are, have authority over me. I've been taught that I should be courteous, considerate, and deferential as much as possible. I have been taught to say the polite yes or leal, even though I'm not going to do what they just said. 
I've been taught that I should not do or say anything that might make someone else look bad or potentially lose face. And most definitely, I've been taught that I should act like everything is fine. Behind closed doors, I can be myself. Once we get home, or maybe once I get in the car leaving the church, I can be myself. But while I'm out in public, I'm supposed to act like someone else if I want people to like me and respect me. In so many ways, I have been taught and encouraged to live a divided life. Yet here's what Solomon wrote in Proverbs 11, verse 3. He said, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Ouch! Duplicity? I don't think I'm being duplicitous, but that is what I am doing. And you and I are not alone in the struggle to have integrity. In fact, the Bible tells us a story of a time when one of our heroes of the faith, the Apostle Peter, when he fell into lack of integrity. So we're going to look at Galatians 2, verse 11 through 14. Galatians 2, 11 through 14 tells a story like this. When Cephas, who is also Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. And this is Paul speaking. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. All right, so what, what, what was going on here? Let me just summarize for you. So Peter visited the city of Antioch, which is where Paul had a thriving ministry, and Barnabas was one of Paul's uh, right-hand person working there with him. Now, God had told Peter very clearly that the Gentiles, which are non-Jews, anyone who is not a Jew is a Gentile, God had said, the Gentiles are not unclean. I accept them, I love them, and I invite them into the kingdom of God. And so you should treat them the same way. And so Peter was like, all right, Lord. And so when he got to Antioch, he was eating and hanging out with the non-Jewish believers. But then, sometime later, these other Jewish believers from Jerusalem from James means they were in Jerusalem. They came to Antioch too. And there's something particular about these Jewish believers. They were legalists. And they believed that anyone who believed in Jesus Christ should also live like the Jews live. They should be circumcised. They shouldn't eat certain foods. And they shouldn't hang out with non-Jews. 
So when they came to town, Peter was like, oh no, I better stop hanging out with the non-Jewish believers. And he began to do that. And then because he was the leader of the Christians at that time, all the other believers were like, ooh, we better do what Peter's doing. And Paul was like, and even Barnabas began to do that. And he's saying that because Barnabas was the most gentle, loving Christian believer of that time. And so he was basically saying, Peter led them all astray. Now, why did Peter do this? Peter doesn't tell us, but Paul tells us. Paul says Peter was afraid of what the legalistic Jewish believers would think and say of him. He was afraid of these men. Now, Paul had several choices. He could have followed Peter's leadership and example. He could have excused Peter's behavior as, hey, you know, that's kind of culturally acceptable. He could have kept his thoughts and feelings to himself and just avoided a difficult conversation. Or he could confront Peter and call him out on his lack of integrity or what, what Paul calls Peter's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, by the way, is saying and doing one thing while you believe something totally different. Okay. Now, as, as 18th century theologian John Gill wrote about this passage, he says, the opposition was real, this opposition that Paul had with Peter. The opposition was real, and in all faithfulness and integrity, Paul did not go about as a tail-bearer bearer, whisper and backbiter, but instead he reproved Peter to his face, freely spoke his mind to him, boldly resisted him, honestly endeavored to convince him of his mistake and to put a stop to his conduct. Here we see a contrast. While Peter lacked integrity and caved to the expectations of the legalistic believers, Paul maintained his integrity, and he neither feared Peter nor did he fear the legalistic Jews. But instead, Paul did what he has told us to do, which is speak the truth in love. All right, so what can you and I do when we find ourselves thinking and believing one thing but behaving and living out something contrary to what we believe? How do we build up and regain integrity? Well, this week, we're looking at climb the ladder of integrity. So if you look in your bulletins, we have a handout in there that has the ladder of integrity. Pete and Jerry Scazzaro provide this tool. Now, this is something you use when you, remember I said that technical term, you have those icky feelings inside of you? Because you did something where you're like, why did I do that? Okay, where you're angry, frustrated, hurt, or upset. And it's usually because you have violated your own value. So this exercise helps you to clarify your values to, by processing your thoughts and feelings. And afterwards, if necessary, then you can decide if you're going to 
assert yourself with the other person, but you do it in a respectful way. So what the latter does is it allows you to slow things down, reflect, get honest and clear about what is going on inside of you. It allows you to discover or uncover your values. And then you can decide how to better respond to other people or that situation based on your values. The result is that you can have congruence between what you value and how you live. So if you look at the, the ladder of integrity, there are 12 rungs or 12 steps. Starting from the bottom, you would climb up. So one all the way to 12. You'll notice that steps one through six help you to process your thoughts and emotions. And here you're, at, you're learning what is going on inside of me. And those are important. It's half the steps are figuring out what's going on inside of you. Why do I have this icky feeling? Steps seven through 10 help you to uncover or discover your values. So what are the values that, are, that I let go of in this situation? And what are the values I actually want to live out? Um, and then steps 11 through 12 help you to identify the healing aspects of the relationship. You're basically asking, what, what can be gained from this relationship that I have with this person where I violated my own integrity. So this is something for you to do. This is homework for you. We're not gonna do that today because 12 steps takes a long time. But here's how you would actually use the ladder of integrity. You would write down and fill out each step of the ladder. You would do that prayerfully because there's a lot there. Um, if you look at the ladder, I usually get stomped at number six, which is what my reaction tells me about me is. That's where, like, I own, okay, this is about me, right? Why did I say yes when I really wanted to say no? What is that saying about me, my need to be liked, right? Okay, anyway, you write that down, and then you ask a neutral person, the person who was not involved in the situation, you go to them and you say, hey, Tim, can I process my climb the ladder of integrity with you? And Tim is a neutral person. He just listens to me to make sure that there's no blaming in there, uh, helps me to clarify some of the areas where I might have been more vague, okay? But he doesn't give me instruction on how to talk to this other person. He's just helping me clarify these things. You may need to refine your ladder many times before you actually have clarity and then you're able to remove all traces of blaming the other person. When you've gained clarity, it might even be that you don't even need to talk to the other person. Now, the gentleman who I just totally ignored his, his business uh, documents, I probably need to go to him and say, hey, here's what was happening. Remember 12 years ago when I did this to you? Okay. But sometimes it may be appropriate that you just say, hey, now I understood what happened and I, I can move on. Other times you may have to ask to meet with that person. All right, so we're not going to make you do the, the climb the ladder of integrity today, but I want to assign this as homework, that you do this 
take a situation recently where you're like, why did I do that? I, I, I didn't even want to do that, and go through the steps, okay? But we're gonna watch a video of a man named Phil, and he's coming to Pete Scazzaro, and, and he's asking Pete to be his neutral third person while he goes through the ladder of integrity. And, and here's the context. Phil works at the church where uh, Pete was the pastor, and Phil was in charge of making sure that all the baptisms for that following week were going to go well. But Phil works with a coworker named Myrna, and Myrna was responsible with contacting each of the people who were getting baptized, and she gave Phil the list of people so that he could coordinate everything. However, she gave it to him really late, and she left out somebody's name. And here's what happened. So let's watch Phil processing with Pete Scazzaro. Now, follow along in, your, in the ladder so you can see him go up each rung. All right? Hey, Pete, would you mind if I could practice the ladder of integrity with you uh, just so I can get all the blame out? Sure. So right now, the issue on my mind is my lack of honesty about how your scheduling mistake impacted me around Easter Sunday. When you came and apologized, I told you it was no big deal, when in reality, it was a big deal. I'm anxious about this because in my Indian culture, it's an unspoken expectation that a younger person never raise an issue with someone that is older uh, or a more experienced staff person uh, when they make a mistake. We are to keep it to ourselves, uh, but this eventually damages relationships, uh, churches, and families. I'm also a people pleaser, and I really want you to like me. So I was afraid that you could be offended and create some distance between us. So my part in this is that I wasn't honest with you, and I lied. And my need in this is to acknowledge that I was dishonest with you. My need is also to practice speaking truthfully with another person, uh, or an elder, or someone that's more experienced on staff. So my feelings about this are many. I was disappointed in myself, and I was a bit devastated when I realized that I had lied to you. To tell you that it was no big deal was the furthest thing from the truth. See, it was my Sabbath, and it was something that my soul desperately needed between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. So it was the one day of the week that Debbie and I get to spend together uh, and share our Sabbath, and it also happened to be the weekend of our one-year wedding anniversary. What I thought was gonna take about five minutes to fix took about five hours. So to try to make most of the day, we went to the mall and I ended up making phone calls from the car uh, while Debbie went shopping. Now shopping is a joy for Debbie, but it created this anxiety in me because I was nervous that she was gonna spend way too much money at the mall. So as I was doing this, she went and shopped and I was spending time trying to fix this in the car. So as you can see, I went through so many emotions on this day having my Sabbath and my anniversary impacted, and then realizing that I lied to you on that Sunday really disturbed me. What my reaction teaches me about me is how deep my family of origin and my Indian culture avoid having difficult conversations, and that lives inside of me. 
<clears throat> and it was easy for me to be dishonest with you. And this really grieves me deeply. This issue is important to me because I value truthfulness and having integrity within myself. And when I don't speak honestly, I violate my own integrity. This is very disturbing to me because I want to be a person who is authentic, that you can see on the outside and I am the same person on the inside. I'm not willing to continue this pattern of dishonesty. One thing I can do to improve the situation is by taking time to get clearer with myself and also take opportunities like this one to engage in a vulnerable and humbling conversation. So the most important thing I want you to know is that I respect you and I value your work as an awesome executive. I want you to know how difficult this is for me because of my history and family and culture. I think my honest sharing will benefit our relationship because it will build this greater trust between us. You will know I can be honest with you and I will not be holding on to anything internally. I hope and look forward to more opportunities in our working relationship and also an opportunity for us to be a sign of the kingdom to our community. And I hope you feel free to come to me as well. Phil, that's great. So now you can obviously do a lot of integrity just for yourself. Sometimes you want to go talk to the person. Would you like to that we bring Mirna in and you speak to her? I think I need to speak to Mirna. Okay, great. Thanks, Phil. All right. So you, uh, we're going to go to our table discussions. You, you at the table can discuss those twelve steps, or maybe even what you saw in the demonstration. You, you will be able to do that. But we're going to turn to our tables and we're going to discuss question number one, which is you know looking at those characteristics. Uh, which of these, if any, might be true of you? And what makes it difficult for you to live with integrity in this area? And then the second question will be to look at the, the ladder of integrity and just give your thoughts and observations about the tool. And finally, the third question, how might using the climbing the ladder of integrity tool help you to listen to God's voice? So your group has uh, 15 minutes to discuss, so go ahead. All right. So, and, and if you're talking at home, go ahead and recircle, focus on up here. And if you're on the Zoom, well, you can't be hearing me anyway because you're on the Zoom, but maybe you can jump back into service here. Um, so, in case, if, if you were sitting there and when you were sharing, if things were getting a little heated, then you need to come back next week because next week we're talking about fighting fairly. 
So come on back. Tune in next week. Come back next week. So there you go. Yeah, see, I know. We heard. Okay, so that's come back next week to learn how to fight fairly.